What is up, everyone, and welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine, will be joining us shortly. Now, if you can't tell from the sound of my voice, I got a bit of a cold today, but that is not going to stop us from getting you guys episode nine, because there is a ton of cool content in today's podcast. We're going to be reviewing the camp that I just did in Ireland called the 21 Drums Drum Camp, and I co-hosted that camp with Mark Juliana and Robert Sputzy, right from the band Snarky Puppy, and it was an incredible experience in in Ireland, and I can't wait to tell you guys all about it. We're also going to get into the August issue and talk about cover artist Antonio Sanchez, talk about how we learned about him, and also get into his more current, most recent projects, which are absolutely incredible. In our gear review section, we're going to check out the Fidoc 13-inch snare drum, as well as some new heads from Remo, and then of course, as always, we will get you our picks of the week. So let's get to it. So, how's life been, man? What's been going on with you? It's been quite a break. When was the last time we were able to do one of these? I've been traveling a lot. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. I mean, and for me, it's been a, a, a very busy gigging season of a lot of festivals and traveling out of town. So, it's been, I'm kind of glad the summer festival season is over because I, I started to feel like my brain was scrambled with, you know, learning three sets of music for four different bands and got the point where I'm like, what am I doing? What am I playing? Why am I, why am I forgetting this song? I was just information <laughs> overload. Now, is all this stuff original material, or is it cover songs? Both. One one project's all original. One project was three sets of covers that changed every gig. And, and there's another original thing that requ- I'm playing a lot of electronics. So that's like a whole different set of independence and memory, knowing which loops to trigger and when the start and stop. And that still trying to figure that one out. But, you know, it's been good. That's what the gig tonight is is with that group. I'm playing an SBDS and two snare drums and an X-hat and a bass drum. That's it. Nice. Now, what is your X-hat? Is it from that? I remember we reviewed those Peisty symbols, and you said you were thinking about adding those into the mix. Yeah, I thought about it, and I, I've been using some 16s, but I think they're a little bit too big. The band is... Okay. It's a female-fronted band, and she plays synth bass, and there's a guitarist who plays uh, a South American little tiny guitar so the big hi-hats i think were just too much too much sound i think i want to go back to the 13s maybe nice very cool very cool so any news going around there in the world of modern drummer the big news is we're just gearing up to to launch on our 40th anniversary um with the next issue so we just we just put the december issue to bed and we're we're finishing up the january issue which is the official first issue of the 40th year celebration so a lot of things in the works yep so very similar to saturday night live you'll have all the big stars in town have a big party (laughs) no no party yet i'm not sure what's going on with that but we we know we're going to be you know checking in with some guys who've been on the cover over the 40 years so you'll see a lot of that's cool like update style stories with various guys who've been with us from the beginning very nice man very cool you know the first year of modern drummer who was on the cover cover of modern drummer and what would that have been uh 75 77 it was quarterly there are only four issues man i have no idea issue number one take a guess buddy rich absolutely now issue (laughs) number two your one of your mentors is going to be offended if you don't know this issue number two phil collins roy burns Oh no! <laughs> yeah, Mr. Was... Burns, I'm so sorry. <laughs> now, do you have copies of those laying around, MD? We have a few that we keep on in file. And we have 
um, everything is digital now, so we have digital versions sure. of everything. But yeah, we have a couple original prints, and we have actually the first year framed on the wall in our conference room. Wow! Yeah, it's totally cool. it was totally crazy to look back. Third issue was a split cover. I think it was Alan Dawson and I can't remember. Fourth cover was Lenny White. Wow! Yeah, look at you, a little history book. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a strange first year if you think about it. Yeah. No John Bonham, no Ringo. Really? You mean for the whole year? Oh, yeah, because there was four. There was only four. Wow. Yeah, man. What a tough thing to choose back then. Yeah. Well, I think the story is Ron basically hunted Buddy down and begged him, like, you have to be on the first issue because it'll, I mean, it, if he wouldn't have been on that first issue, I don't know if the magazine would have even took off. Wow. He was the biggest drummer in the world. And Roy was a, a good friend of Ron, so that made sense. And I think wow. Alan Dawson was one of Ron's teachers at Berkeley. Man, I, I wonder too. Back then, you know, the, we we know those drummers, especially like Bonham and Ringo, as you know, kind of drum gods now. But I I kind of wonder what it'd be like to be back in 1977, and if they were just the drummer. If it was kind of like Dave Grohl, you know, where it's like, oh, killer drummer, he's in a cool band, and. You know, I wonder if sometimes it takes a couple decades to recognize the brilliance, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to my dad about that because he came up, I mean, he graduated high school in 1967. And he talks about how Led Zeppelin was just kind of a kind of a weird rock band. You know, right. They weren't like all that great, but now they are. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> By the way, I should probably apologize to our listeners for my, my voice, but uh, on the I think on the flight back from Ireland, I got a bit of a of a cold, so... I sound a little nasally, and I apologize. Yeah, well, we should go ahead and just jump right into that. Tell me about this camp. Holy mackerel. Um, yeah, the, so it was called 21 Drums Drum Camp, and what happened was about a year ago, I went and did a clinic um, with a store called Music Maker in Ireland, and we did it at this place called The Button Factory, and it it's a it's kind of like a rock club, and it was totally sold out, totally packed, and the, the atmosphere was just absolutely crazy, and when we were done... The owner of Music Maker, or the manager, excuse me, of Music Maker, said, uh, "Hey, man, <clears throat> excuse me, really like you to do a camp here. I think you know we've wanted to branch out, we've wanted to do camps, and I think you'd be the perfect guy." And I just said, "No, man, I'm just not interested. Like, you know, I do my camps at my place in Sacramento, and if I start doing my camps all around the world, then there wouldn't be much reason for anyone to come to my camp because they would just wait for me to eventually come to Sweden or Switzerland or whatever." So he kind of kept pressing the issue, and I said, okay, well, if if, if we're going to do a camp, it has to be different than my camp. Um, and so we came up with this idea of doing kind of a three-person camp, but instead of it being some random fantasy camp where I come in and just teach whatever I want, and then another drummer comes in and teaches whatever he or she wants, uh, we wanted to have a theme to the camp. So the idea was that I was going to grab two of my favorite drummers on the planet that were very, very different than me in playing style and in education. And then each day of the camp would be a specific topic. And what would happen is you would get a 90 minute masterclass from me on that topic, a 90 minute masterclass from somebody with a completely different approach and different opinion. And then, uh, and then a third different approach and different opinion. So when I started thinking about who could kind of really balance out my style of drumming and my style of education uh, I thought okay I need like a creative jazz drummer that is just you know pure 
creative genius. And so there was, it was an easy choice, which was Mark Juliana, um, good friend of mine. Um, and, uh, actually he's on the cover of our podcast. Um, oh, that's so right. if you you're, if you're looking at the modern drummer podcast, that guy that's on the cover of it, that's Mark Juliana. Um, awesome. So, and by the way, he, when, when we got to the camp, he's like, did you have anything to do with me being on that cover? I was like, well, I took the picture. So I kind of, <laughs> I looked around my office and, uh, I grabbed, I didn't want to use my issue. I thought that'd be a little douche. So, uh, I grabbed yours. Um, so yeah, so I, I asked Mark and he was more than happy to do it. And then I needed kind of a, a, a different approach than mine, which is the very analytical teacher approach, Mark artistic exploration approach. Um, so I was looking for somebody that was really, really knowledgeable, not just in drumming, but in production and being a producer and a writer. So I contacted Sput, uh, Robert Seawright from the band Snarky Puppy. But, you know, what he does with Snarky Puppy wasn't really the reason I was contacting him. Um, one, he's an amazing human being, but it was more his work with Celine Dion, his work with Snoop Dogg for seven years, his work with uh, P. Diddy. Those he had those kind of stories and those almost rock star, well, definitely rock star level experiences that myself and Mark Juliana didn't have. So I thought he would bring a different approach to the material as well. So that's kind of how it all got started. And what was really cool is when I contacted each of them individually, both of them said yes without knowing the dates or the pay, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. They were just like, count me in. Just and I was like, well, you don't know the dates, you don't know how much it pays. They're like, we'll figure it out. Let's do this. So, um, so what were some of the, what were some of the topics that you covered that you broke down? Yeah. So we had 21 drummers, which was a big group, but we, um, we rented a, a castle that had been turned into a studio in Ireland called Grouse Lodge. And, um, uh, it was an amazing place. And Michael Jackson lived there for about five months. Uh, Muse did an album there. REM did an album there. And so we had <clears throat> the ability to do some really cool topics because, it was all set up in an amazing recording studio. Um, so we did Independence. Um, the second day we did Time. And that was really cool to get Sputz and Mark's approach to time and placement and subdivision. And, you know, just the idea of really exploring the spaces between the notes instead of the notes themselves. And so I, I you know, and the, the cool thing with this camp was as soon as you know, Mark started teaching, Sput and I were in the back row taking notes. And then as soon as I started teaching, Sput and Mark were in the back row taking notes. And um, so we learned just as much as the campers. Um, on the third day, we did, um, we actually did, um, we had the campers playing to a click um, where they would do four bar phrases. And it was really cool. They had to do um, four bar phrases and it was 16 bars of three bars of groove and one bar of an eighth note triplet fill. So they had to leave that straight eighth feel and then get into the eighth note triplets with a click. Then another 16 bar phrase of the same thing, but using 16th notes as the fill. So what we were listening for in that was kick drum consistency. Can they leave the groove, play an, an improvised fill and then come back to the same kick pattern that they started with. Um, and we also wanted to hear how do you play from straight eighths into eighth note triplets with a click and then on the last, um, I guess the 30, uh, let's see, 32, the 33rd bar or 33rd bar, they had a new four bar phrase that we just called uh, wild card and they got to do any fill they wanted. And it was so awesome. I'll have to get you some audio samples of Sput um, being on the producer mic going wild card, baby. 
Hammer time, baby. <laughs> it's your birthday, baby. Like so, he would like get in their headphones and let them know it's time to let it loose, baby. Hammer time, baby. And it was awesome. And we, so we have 21 audio takes of him going wild card, baby. And like the drummers would just crack up. And what was great was you would think about it on that last fill. That was the time where we said, okay, do anything you want, just keep it in time with the click. And I would say 80% of the campers got completely paralyzed with that much freedom. It just all. So when we told them exactly what subdivision to do and everything, they just nailed it. And then as soon as it was like, all right, cool. Now just go bananas. It was too many options. So you could really see how having some simple parameters on your drumming actually helped a lot. And then every night we would have a bonfire and uh, tell stories. And it was it was just incredible. And we're, we were 40 miles away from the nearest city. So we were out in the middle of nowhere. No cell phone service. No internet. Um, and uh, we had campers from Turkey, from uh, Buenos Aires, South America, France, Belgium, England, obviously Ireland, Canada, quite a few Americans. So the whole world was represented in uh, this really cool experience. That's amazing. So what was the first thing you came home and practiced? So uh, one of the things that Mark taught was a placement exercise. So, you know, I've taught myself a lot about crashing in places other than the one. And so he did that and I thought, okay, well, I teach that all the time, you know, crash move it back one sixteenth note and crash on the uh and still being able to no matter where you crash you have to kind of keep the snare and kick where they were originally so you're just kind of displacing the main accent but what he did was he played like a really simple um two beat fill of three and four e and and then crash on the one and then he moved that whole thing back one sixteenth note so if you're going to crash on the uh then the 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 three and four and actually starts on the uh of two and moving the fill back completely my ear couldn't handle it i couldn't find the groove after the crash and then he you know so he was taking really dot 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 crash and shifting that all over the bar and i mean the campers minds were exploding and even spot and i were trying to like snap our fingers and we're like where the heck is one it, it was incredible so I think if anything, that was the one thing that I got the most out of the camp was I got the history of Mark and Sput's practice regime that turned them into the musicians they are today. That was really cool. Yeah, that's great. Super cool. What did you get from Sput? What was the one particular thing? Oh, man. Uh, his whole thing was just like, you know, letting go of all of the knowledge, letting go of all of the education and just playing from your heart, you know, and... um I would say if anything that I got from him, it was just encouragement. You know, he just kind of grabbed me at one point, like both hands on my shoulders and said, no more talking crap about your drumming. You are a great drummer. (laughs) I don't want to hear it anymore. You know, and he's like, and I'm going to start writing music for you and you're going to record an album. I'm like, what? (laughs) So it it was cool. It was a lot of encouragement going on. Um, And vice versa, man. I mean, Spot on day one was clearly a professional touring drummer who does not do a lot of educational stuff doesn't do a lot of teaching clinics and by the last day he was teaching his ass off and i couldn't have been more proud i mean i was like i had tears in my eyes for how proud i was of how much he grew as a teacher in the six days you know so we're all growing in different ways that's super cool i mean the what you mentioned about uh letting go is something that is it's that's a difficult idea for most people and i think it's something that should be practiced you know, like you, you learn an idea, you spend a couple of hours practicing an idea. Well, you should end that practice with forgetting that idea and seeing if it comes out naturally. 
Because I know yeah. I've had a lot of guys come to me like, I just don't know what to do if I'm playing jazz. What's the left hand do? What's the left foot do? I'm like, there are no rules, man. You have to, right. you have to try everything, and then eventually it becomes a language. Think of it like you're learning Spanish if you never spoke Spanish before. Eventually, it just you just form those ideas, and I'm still wrestling with it myself. So that's I need to check a little bit more of Spud out because it sounds like he could help me out as well. Yeah, it was really cool, man. Because you know, if you stopped him in the middle of something, it took him a while to break down what it was because he was so lost in the moment that he wasn't paying attention. Where if you stop me in the middle of something that I'm playing, I can just hand you a PDF. I know exactly what I was doing, and that yeah. means that I'm way too focused on exactly what I was doing. Um, and so, yeah, I just got a lot out of him. And, and I mean, it all comes from, I mean, his experience is, is out of control, the things he's done. I mean, we kind of know him for Snarky Puppy right now, but that's like the smallest thing on his resume, you know? It's just the thing that he loves the most. And he's turned down some massive, massive opportunities in the last couple of years just so he could keep doing the Snarky Puppy thing. I mean, um, I think the Justin Timberlake tour came his way, Um and it was something where he had to decide between, you know, Justin Timberlake in private jets and buses or, you know, a van and trailer with Snarky. And he was like, there was no choice. I want to be out with my guys. Yeah, you know? so drummer's gig for sure. For sure. All right. Well, let's move into uh, our cover artist for August 2015, which is Antonio Sanchez. So my first question for you about Antonio Sanchez, maybe we can both take a stab at this, is when was the first time you were alerted to him and, and his playing? It was, uh, I, would, I would have been in college. I think it was kind of popped up on a bunch of stuff in like the late, I guess it would have been the late 90s when I was checking out all the, the new jazz that was coming out. But it wasn't, and then it wasn't until after he got the Pat Metheny gig and then he started doing clinics that I saw him and was like, oh, this guy is like super drummer. Like he can do some ridiculous stuff over top of. He was playing like odd time clave patterns with his feet and so on over top of it. So that would have been early two thousands, I guess, when I saw him do his first the first clinic I saw, and I was just blown away. And I've I've been friends with him for a better part of a decade now. Is he a New York guy? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I met him when I first got the gig at the magazine I I just sent him an email and said hey I'd love to get together and hang out and check out a gig so I went to Dizzy's Coca-Cola Club and saw him with I'm pretty sure it was his band and he's he impressed me because he went from being this guy like mega chops playing the snot out of the drums kind of guy to like focusing on acoustic jazz which doesn't require really any of that facility so to see how he was able to tweak his technique and make it more sensitive and play very quietly with ridiculous intensity. He's, I mean, he's still, he's one of my favorite players right now, for sure. What about you? What was your first? It was actually you guys. Uh, I'd never even heard of him until uh, he played the Modern Drummer Festival. And uh, was that the same year as Zorro, maybe? Um, yeah, it could have been. Do you, do you know the story behind his performance? That he no. he he actually brought his laptop and sat it on top of the subwoofer, and it erased his hard drive. So he because was, of the magnets in the yeah, sub. Yeah, so he was going to play to like some Pat Metheny tracks and some I think some oh some other backing God. tracks, and it happened like right before he went on. Oh so my he, God! No way! Yeah, so he just was like, all right, I guess I'm going to just play solo. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's. It's so funny because that was you know, that was. 
Modern Drummer, you know, the festivals were always to me because I'm, you know, secluded here on the West Coast and and I was doing the rock thing. They were always like the coming out party for who's going to be the new drummer that I'm going to be paying attention to. You know, that's how I found out about Virgil. That's how I found out about even Tony when he was 12, you know, um, Tony Royster. And um, and so with that stuff going on, you know, I remember when um, Antonio Sanchez did it. You're right. I mean, we kind of knew about Left Foot Clave from Horacio doing the Modern Drummer Festival, same year as Virgil, but not in 7-8. Yeah. And uh <laughs> definitely not having freedom over and i was like what the heck is this guy doing you know and and then you're right when he pulled the microphone up to his mouth and started teaching i was like oh he knows exactly what he's doing this guy is massively brilliant um so yeah that was the first time he got on my radar and then i got uh one of the pat Metheny dvds that he was on and i think there was probably about a five to six year difference in time between the modern drummer festival and then the dvd that i got of him with pat Metheny. And it was like a whole new drummer, you know. It was a legitimate jazz fusion drummer playing, like you said, with very graceful touch and feel. And there was no more beats. There was no beats. There were no fills. It was like this landscape of sound. And I couldn't, I didn't even know how I felt about it because I, I just was like, wow, that's so beyond how I think about the drum set. I don't know how to interpret this. Um, really cool stuff. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he still has, he'll still blow your mind, but he also knows when to just play some some good feeling stuff and he's always interacting i mean he's he's a very thoughtful player which is i, I mean if you transcribe his stuff it's it's very thoughtful very compositional even when he's in in the heat of the moment improvising um and he's also a good composer actual composer too and i think that shows in his drumming he's a he's a classically trained pianist which i don't think of course many he is. people know he went to college for for piano how do these people have so much time? I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, another another uh, tidbit is he was a gymnast. Oh, as a child, yeah. I give up. All I can hope is that he's like terrible at social media and bad at Photoshop. You know, it's like tell me of a hole in your game somewhere. Just tell me. I listened to uh, the Meridian Suite today, just kind of prepping for this stuff, and it was crazy. I you know I went back to the article after listening to it, and I um, was kind of reading some of the stuff he said in the interview about how he approached the new um, album. Um, so it's Antonio Sanchez and Migration, and then the album is called The Meridian Sweep. And he was talking about how he approached it with, like, you know what, I can record every track with a different vibe and a different feel. And sure enough, as soon as I put it on, it was like, oh, cool, this is that Antonio Sanchez landscape drumming I was thinking about. And then as soon as, uh, I think it's track three, Channels of Energy came on, it sounded. It really reminded me a lot of how Thomas Pridgen played on Christian Scott's album Rewind. That it had like this super cranked snare with a ton of room reverb, and it was just like powerful rock fusion drumming. Definitely not a jazz feel. And then the next, you know, uh, the next track, uh, Magnetic Currents. You're back into like this jazz feel. I mean, it's just it's a really cool thing. I think I I, I have to make a huge admission that I've. Maybe I wasn't ready, kind of like my feeling with uh, Tony Williams and Elvin Jones for a long time. Like I wasn't ready to accept their brilliance, so I just had to put it on pause for yeah, a while. Yeah. And I think Antonio Sanchez fits that mold too. Yeah, well, not to mention the the Birdman soundtrack. Did you see that? Of course, yeah, yeah. And the controversy of him not getting uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, but I mean, that, that soundtrack is ridiculous. I, mean, I think if you've never heard him play, that might be the where to start. 
because there's something about that soundtrack. The way they recorded it, it's a little bit gritty sounding, and he's, he's he's improvising, but it sounds composed and it fits the movie perfectly. I think that that's like a huge statement for him and for the filmmaker to be like, okay, no music in this movie, just play drums. It's insane. I mean, what a I can't even imagine that task coming to you in the first place, and somebody pitching you the idea like, hey, we want you to do this. I mean, I'd be just completely nerve-wracked over that. <laughs> yeah, with very little direction. Unbelievable. 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 Well, so if you were going to alert our listeners to kind of one, hey, check out Antonio Sanchez on this, I probably should have given you some prep time on that uh, question. But, I mean, do you have a specific kind of performance or video or even album that you would think that would kind of really open people's eyes to who Antonio Sanchez is and what he can bring to the instrument? Um, well, I mean, I think checking out his latest album, The Meridian Suite, is a good spot because it's got everything. It's got some fusion stuff. It's got some delicate jazz. It's got some of the spacier, Matheny-sounding things. Um, I really liked his previous album, uh, which I interviewed him about when it came out. Uh, I don't remember what it was called. Uh, is it uh, Three Times Three? No, that's another new record where he wrote music for three separate trios. So him, Oh, wow. And it was all with people that I believe with people he never played with before. He wrote specifically for them. I think one was Brad Meldow and one was John Schofield. And there was a third one. Uh, it might have been Joe Lovano. I don't remember. So we composed music wow. for three separate trios and got together and recorded it and made a, made a record out of it. The dude's discography is out of control. So Yeah, so if I had to pick one thing, I would say just go with the, and the latest is going to be everything with him because he's, he's always growing, always evolving. So Meridian cool. Suite would be awesome. pick. Or, I mean, the Birdman soundtrack. You can buy that separately. Yeah, then you can just listen to him. All right, well, let's move on into gear review. So uh, this time you got to play on a, a fancy Australian snare drum. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I met uh, I met Steph. It's called Fidoc is the name of the company, spelled F-I-D-O-C-K. It's, his name is Stefan Fidoc. He's the, he's the owner, builder, Australian, like... Like, if you picture in your mind what an Australian man would look like, <laughs> that's him. So I met him at a NAMM show years ago, just walked by. I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because he looks really interesting. And he was he had a huge, he built this huge kit with like a 20 by 24 inch bass drum. And I mean, it was just absurd. I'm like, why would anyone do this? But So then I sat down and I was like, wow, these really sound like nothing else I've ever heard. They have a little bit of a, like a, a African, I guess like a tribal kind of a sound to them. They're really dry, but really open sounding. And he uses wood hoops on almost everything. So he sent me some snare drums to check out. And I've checked out one of his bebop kits over the years. And recently started a new series called the heartbreaker series, which I believe he's using harder versions of, the blackwood which is a native australian wood he, everything he's doing now is is blackwood i believe he was messing around with myrtle and some other really high-end super hard woods that are just a pain in the butt to work with and apparently blackwood is poisonous if you're not careful with it oh like the dust. well anybody that gets their uh their drum shell material out of the tasmanian rainforest count me in that right? dude's a that dude's a man his man card has been punched <laughs> So anyway, he sent me this six by uh, thirteen heartbreaker snare, and it 
it's a pretty unique drum. It's, it's, I think of his drums as acoustic instruments. They're meant to sound good in a room with no microphones and no, no special tricks. Sonically, is it a pretty loud drum because the wood's so hard? I wouldn't call it loud, but it, it has a lot of presence. Okay. Um, and it's, it's dry. It's dry but open. That's kind of a weird combination. Wow. So it, it feels real dry, but the, the tone really kind of opens up. has a lot of... I think, it, I mean, what's it, black wood? It's a real musical tone wood. Uh, and it also, if you muffle it up, it kind of sounds like an old uh, like concert drum. So you can use it for like marching-sounding stuff, like colonial-type-sounding things. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's a fun... It's a fun drum. It's it's definitely not going to be for everyone, but it's worth checking out if you ever get a chance to see them. And is everything on it kind of made by Fidoc except for the trick throw-off? And the wires, yeah. And the heads, okay. obviously. But he does offer uh, kangaroo hide drum heads if you want them. Shut up. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I swear. You're lying. Truth. I'm not even... That's it. I'm, I'm not even Truth. listening anymore. That's <laughs> Oh man, I can't believe I didn't order my my new Gretsch with kangaroo hide skins. That would have that would have been great for the PETA fans out there. Yeah, you might want to try it though. <laughs> if I really want that genuine warmth, I got to step up to the little kangaroo top and maybe some goat skin bottoms. Oh, yeah. good god. Awesome. Well, let's uh let's take a listen to this snare drum. Okay, so what you're going to hear first is the snare drum tune tight and then I will demo it medium tight, then medium low and then very low. Enjoy. Another thing you got to review this month was uh, Remo's new offering. So they have the Power Stroke 77 snare head and uh, the Power Stroke Black Dot bass drum head. So the 77, that's uh, two 7 mil plies, which would be the same, I guess, as their Emperor. And pretty much that's the same as everybody's two, uh, two ply head. So if you guys are looking at like an Aquarian Response 2, that's two 7 mil plies. Uh, Remo Emperor's two 7 mil. And I believe a Evans G2 would be two 7 mil as well. So what makes this stand out, I guess, is the 5 mil white dot on top of it? It's a clear dot. It's, it's oh, okay. And it has the power stroke muffling ring. 
So it's like a Power Stroke. You know, the Power Stroke 3 has a dot yep. and a muffling ring. What's well, that same head with two plies of 7 mil film? Got it. So it's like an Emperor. So this is, if, if you need your head to last for the entire tour, this is the one. Yeah, but it's not as, as crazy heavy as the uh, Emperor X. Okay. That is two 10 mil plies. Right. So this is like a a one step down. If you find the Emperor X is just overkill, you want a little bit more open tone um, with tons of durability, that would be the Power Stroke 77. Nice, man. And and you got a chance to play it, right? Yeah, I liked it. And I was was surprised at how much life it actually did have. What snare did you put it on? uh, I tried the clear one on a fiberglass drum. Oh wow! Knowing that that shell has no natural tone to it really at all, so just to see what the head does. Then I put the where did I put the coated one on. I think I put the coated one on a real heavy cast steel drum. Now you look like you're reading something. Do you actually write these things down? I'm looking at the review. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, where is it? By Mike Dawson. I, you know what though, our listeners should know. Like you just you said in the beginning of the podcast, you are on the working on the January issue. So, um, even though August might be current for some people, you know, I tried it was a while back for you. <laughs> I tried them both on the same drum. I'm being okay, stupid. Nice. Yeah, they were both on the fire. So they offered in clear and coated. And do they offer it in multiple sizes, or is it just a 14 inch head? I think right now it's just a 14, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if a 13 doesn't come out soon. Okay. This cool. was a few months back, but yeah, I mean, it's it was. I, there are some gigs that I play. Like this summer, I, I, <laughs> the guy I was working with bought a nice pork pie uh, brass snare. He's like, I want you to use this on the gig. And I'm like, you sure? He's like, yeah. So I, it had the single ply, like Asian made ambassador on it. Oh boy. And by the end of the the set, I could have I could have flicked someone could have flicked their ashes in the middle of the, <laughs> of the drum head. Nice. So nice. I'm sorry, dude. I mean, I. It's a hard. I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> <clears throat> so this would have been a good choice for that, and it, and it, it's also a little bit more versatile. Like I was saying, the Emperor X is kind of like if you cannot keep a head on your drum for more than a half hour without destroying it, you need an Emperor X. This would be if you want to get a, a couple shows out of hard hitting gig and have some some open tone. I mean, it really didn't sound all that different than the Power Stroke Three single ply version. Got it. Now, sometimes when I've played uh, heads, especially snare heads that had a dot in the middle, I, I really noticed a a lack of response. Like I wasn't able to like kind of get good buzz strokes out of it. Did this still feel good, or does it have that kind of dead spot in the middle? Uh, I could be wrong, but I think the dot is not as big as the the regular CS dot. So okay. it it didn't feel. I know what you mean because I everyone talks about the the CS coded being the head to use in the studio. So I'm always getting one, and every time I put it on, I'm like, this drum just feels weird. Yeah, just feels restricted. Yeah. It might sound better, but I mean, if all you're doing is banging out rim shots, it's it's great. Sure. But if you're trying to do any kind of rolls, especially buzz rolls, um, this one didn't seem to be as affected. But yeah, it was still noticeable. It still feels like a thicker head. It's still a dotted head. Yeah. Gotcha. And then the, the Power Stroke Black Dot bass drum head, how does that differ from what they already had out? This is just a Power Stroke 3, which is kind of the industry standard bass drum head with a, a big old dot on it. Revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but revolutionary. you know what? I mean, I have a certain sweet spot for Black Dot heads, but the first 
bass drum I fell in love with was a an old Ludwig with a huge dotted silver dot actually a Ludwig version. So yeah, 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 yeah. And that drum just kicked. It it punched you in the gut no matter what. And so I've always had a sweet spot for that. And so I was really excited to check this one out. And and it was it was cool. The dot just adds just enough high end, but not as much as like the the Fallon patch. So you're getting a little more attack out of it, a little more click. A little bit more, but not as much as if you use one of those thick Kevlar pads. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then I mean, it's it's all. And and how is it the same? Is it a five mil uh, thick dot? Pretty sure. So I mean, you're also getting added durability out of the dot. Yeah, exactly. It's not there because they were bored and thought a head would look good with a black dot in the middle of it. Well, I mean, that's part of it because if I mean, <laughs> have you noticed the black dot batter heads on toms have kind of come back in? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it always does. I mean, it's always like a ten-year cycle. Oh, yeah, somebody, you know, some kid buys realistic rock and sees those old Carmine drums, and he's like, "I'm going black dot." Yeah, so I think yeah, part man. of it was continuity to be like, "All right, let's offer a bass drum head that that can work with these." But it does nice. sound it does sound nice. The coated one was a little bit more mellow, and it it, it sounds really good on like three ply drums or any kind of old vintage stuff. Um, the clear one had just a little bit more contemporary high end. Cool. And do you, do we have audio of these? I think so. I had to dig it out. We didn't include it in the magazine, but I did record them both, so I'll find it. Correction. Nope. No audio. All right. Now it's time for our picks of the week. I'm going to start simple, um, simple, but also what I found to be something I can't leave home without, and that is the Evans magnetic drum key, which seems like the simplest thing ever it just the part that hooks onto your tension rod is magnetic so it will not fly off your drum ever Mm. and And it probably doesn't rattle when you play too huh doesn't rattle it won't fly off you can put it on the bottom and just leave it there wow yeah okay and it also has a little like a thumb screw on the top so you can do real fast if you're changing heads you can do it real fast so it's for the best accessory i think i mean i i don't like using any other drum keys now I'm, I'm spoiled. I'm a diva. Now, is this new or has it been out for a while? I think it's been out for years, but it's kind of been hiding, you know, lurking under the radar. It's fu- It's funny when you talk to companies when you find something like, I remember with DW, I would find something where I'm like, this is genius. How come you have never put this in a magazine? And they're like, do you know how many products we make? <laughs> right. Like, Because I, 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 I think it was, I can't remember what it was. I think it was the bottom of... Um, the uh of any of their 9000 series stands and actually i think it's on all their stands but the bottom of the right under the seat there's a little tension rod and you loosen it and you can move the whole seat of the symbol up or down the thread you know and i'm like how do you not tell people this and they're like really do you know what we make how how would we fit that into an ad and i'm like okay uh, same thing with evans it's like i'm sure they're like we make 6,000 different variations of drum heads. We can't tell you about our key, but that's cool. So, Yeah, I think it's maybe 10 bucks. It's worth it. Awesome, man. All right, my pick of the week is a little bit controversial, and I didn't know that until I put up a picture of it on uh, Instagram, but it is the Meinl Ching Ring, and uh, it's very affordable. It's I don't know the exact retail price, but it's definitely under 20 bucks. And it just can go on any of your symbols. And the reason why it's controversial is because there's something very similar that came out before it called the Keplinger Ching Ring, which is more of a handmade boutique version of this thing. And really what it does is it gives your symbol, um, if you put it on a symbol like a crash or a ride, it's going to give it sizzles and it has um, little tambourine jingles on it. Or if you put it on your hi-hat, that's where I use it, it never moves. And it just sits right around the bell. It's about, um, I think it's about six inches in diameter. 
And what I get out of it, when you're playing the hi-hats, it does give them a little bit of a tambourine jingle, but that's not really what I get out of it. It's actually when I'm using the hi-hat with my foot. It, I'm, I'm playing 15-inch uh, Byzance dual hats that are very soft hi-hats, and they don't have a loud chick to them. And now with the ching ring on there, uh, if I if I need my left foot to be heard more, then instantly it just cuts through the whole mix. Now, here was my take because <clears throat> some people said, hey, man, Keplinger made this thing first. Well, they made their version of it. But what I think, to me, the way I see it is, okay, Keplinger is a small boutique shop that makes a very, very hip handmade product. Having a company, a massive company with marketing power and everything, like Meinl put out a similar product is going to alert attention to the product type itself. And the people that like it will start to look for what else is similar. And so I think a a smaller boutique company like Keplinger will actually gain a ton of new attention from Meinl pushing this product. So I think it's a win for both companies, honestly. Um, And and there's people out there that might say, oh yeah, I love the Meinl Ching Ring, but it's it's Meinl, it's perfect, It's, it's engineered well. I want like kind of a homemade funky one and then the keplinger is really going to fit and they're going to they're going to be stoked they found that so i i don't see it as a negative at all i see it as kind of a huge positive for both companies um but i i couldn't believe how affordable it was because it's it's so well made um like i said i I think the minor one is under 20 bucks so um i'll I'll definitely throw in some audio so you can hear it being used on my kit because it really adds a lot of awesome texture and since it's not permanently attached to the symbol i put it on my snare drum then i put it on my floor tom and everywhere you put it it creates a new sonic landscape uh for your drums so it's really cool cool did mark bring any of his kevlinger stuff to the camp no, he stole my ching ring. Oh yeah. yeah. So Mark has some of the Keplinger stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's been using his stuff for a while. Awesome. Yeah. He just all of a sudden mine was gone and uh, it was on his hi hat. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I think you know for the people, I think it's cool that people are kind of out there defending. Like, hey man, I just want you to know, um, you know, Keplinger makes this too, and it's like that's awesome. But I, I think they should know that keplinger will probably actually benefit from Mino um pushing this product so i think it's a i think it's a positive for both in this first example i'm playing a really straightforward 16th note based groove on the hi-hats with no ching ring Now here's the exact same groove with the minor ching ring. Now to show how the minor ching ring affects the sound of the hi-hat when played with the foot, I'll improvise over a little bio ostinato. First I'll do it without the minor ching ring, then I'll do it with.
All right, buddy. So that is episode nine. And uh, who, who are we covering next time? Uh, will that be Gil Sharon? Yeah, we're going to step into the September issue. I guess we should probably explain that we've been working through the past year of issues to get caught up. And then once we get to the most current issue, which will be the November issue, we'll be you know, just focusing. We'll have the whole month to kind of discuss the, all the different stuff that's in there. Very cool. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to get all caught up. And for everybody that's listening, uh, thanks for all of your positive you know, comments that you've been getting to myself and Mike. And we will constantly try to improve this thing but uh it really does help us a lot if you can go to itunes and just give us a positive review there and uh, write a little something about what you like about the podcast because that's kind of unfortunately how this stuff works and uh we would we would appreciate it very much so mr dawson have a fantastic day likewise talk to you later all right buddy peace